Welcome to the Valleybrook Community Church Podcast, and thank you for joining us online today. You're about to hear a message from our current study, Transformed. This series will look at people's encounters with Jesus and see how He transformed their lives forever. To watch any of our previous messages or find all listening platforms, we encourage you to visit www.valleybrook.cc forward slash on demand. Enjoy. Well, again, welcome everybody to Valleybrook Community Church. We're glad you're here today. We're going to be in our last sermon in this series called Transformed. And over these weeks, we've looked at people in Scripture who have been transformed through Jesus. And we've actually heard some live testimonies about people who have been transformed by Jesus. Now, today we're not going to have a testimony. But if you'd like to hear any of those messages or those testimonies, We want to encourage you to go to our website and you can hear them or watch them all. So please do that if you feel like you would like to hear those. So today we're going to talk about a man named Nicodemus. And Nicodemus shows up only three times in the Bible and all three times are in the Gospel of John. Now in John, in chapter 3, we learn right away that Nicodemus is a Pharisee. And here's what you need need to know about Pharisees. Pharisees were laymen. That means they they weren't clergy. They weren't priests. Uh, They came from the middle class, and they were primarily businessmen or merchants or tradesmen. Now, Pharisees were very exacting in the Old Testament law, and they were strongly committed to strict adherence to it. They were legalists, basically. They controlled the synagogues, and they they exercised great control over the general population, And they created a body of oral tradition that went parallel to the scriptures. And it was designed to adapt the ancient precepts of the written law to the changing situations of the latter days. And and thus to safeguard the principles against being dismissed as obsolete or impractical. Now, As I said, uh, Pharisees were legalists. They were scrupulous in observing the Jewish food laws and the rules about tithing. And in fact, they would not only give 10% of their income, they would go as far as to give 10% of their herb gardens because they felt like that was what they were called to do. And they would actually avoid eating food that had not been tithed upon. So, Even more problematic, though, than the teaching of the Pharisees was actually the gap between their teaching and how they lived out the teaching. Their overall concern was with externals. In other words, what you looked like, how it appeared to everybody. And that led naturally to a neglect, not of just going through the motions, but the weightier parts of the law of Judaism. The the heart matters. And so that was an issue for Pharisees. In Jesus' day, they were very legalistic. And in fact, oftentimes they were in opposition to Jesus and his teaching. Now, we would learn from the Gospel of John that, that Nicodemus not only was a Pharisee, but that he was also a member of the ruling council called the Sanhedrin. And the Sanhedrin was a ruling body of Jews. Uh, under every city council, there would have been a sad Sanhedrin who functioned as a lower court. And they would be like a court of appeals. And this was the group that ultimately condemned Jesus to death, yet they had to get 
approval from the Roman government and have Pilate, the Roman governor, actually condemn Jesus to death. So uh, it appears that Nicodemus was part of not only the Sanhedrin of Jerusalem, but even the Sanhedrin that was pushing for Jesus' death. But as you'll see, uh, he was very sympathetic to Jesus. Now, one of the other things we learn from these passages is that Jesus, excuse me, that Nicodemus was very well to do because at Jesus' burial, he was the one who brought the, the burial spices, 75 pounds, which would have been a lot of money and very costly. So we understand that. So that's, that's background about who Nicodemus was. So a couple of things that I want to point out. Uh, Nicodemus was cautious but he was curious. The fact that we read that Nicodemus came to talk with Jesus has led to a lot of unsubstantiated assumptions. One biblical scholar dispels those assumptions by writing this. He says it's useless to speculate why Nicodemus came to Jesus at night, though many interpreters have invested a great deal of ink in doing so. Uh, Nicodemus was obviously prompted by the miracles which he had seen Jesus perform, but Nicodemus was a guardian of the theology of, of Judaism, so he had an, uh, an obligation to investigate Jesus' teaching further. Now think about this. During the day, Jesus was surrounded by people all the time, so late in the evening would be a logical time when they could have a meeting. So we should not infer that Nicodemus was afraid or embarrassed to be with Jesus, but rather he was curious and he wanted to know more. Now, he was cautious because he wanted to vet the teaching, but he was also curious. We should take note of the respect that Nicodemus gave Jesus. He calls Jesus rabbi, in other words, teacher. And this is what he says. He goes, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, but no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. So he respects Jesus. He gives him the due title of rabbi, and he affirms that the miraculous things that Jesus is doing have to be from God. But here's where we see Nicodemus' spiritual curiosity. He knew something was missing in his life. So, so here is a theologian of the ruling class of Jerusalem and of all of Israel, and he approaches a carpenter, and he graciously acknowledges that this carpenter, Jesus, is a teacher from God. Why does Nicodemus do that? Yes, because he's examining Jesus' teaching, but more because he's curious. He wants to know what Jesus is all about, not just as a Pharisee, but personally. Jesus piques his curiosity with this statement that he makes to Nicodemus. He says, I tell you the truth, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. The word again here is important for us to investigate because we in our English language don't get the full breadth of what it meant in the Greek language. It actually means to be born from above. So Jesus said something that could read like this. I tell you the truth, unless you are born from above, 
you cannot see the kingdom of God. So the word again means from above. In other words, to belong to a heavenly kingdom, not just an earthly kingdom. So to be born and to belong to a heavenly kingdom is one must be born, not just in the way one is born into an earthly kingdom through a birth with their mother. Now, Jesus really has Nicodemus's attention because we see that he drops his cautiousness and this curiosity gets the best of him because he's a little confused when he hears what Jesus has to say. He, he, he seems to take it literally. He, he says this, how can someone be born when they are old? Surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. But what Jesus says next nails the issue. He says, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. So what Jesus is referring to is the miracle which, uh, when that divine activity happens in us and we believe in Jesus, we are remade as people. We're, we're not the same person that we were before. Theologians call this regeneration. Some people call it being born again. Jesus continues, and he makes it clear how God works. He says, humans can reduce, reproduce only humans, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but you can't tell where it comes from or where it is going. So you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. One scholar explains this passage this way. Human effort can only produce human results. But with the Spirit, that's a different story. This is a spiritual mystery known only to God and explainable only in terms that humans can grasp. The words wind and spirit in the Greek language are derived from the same word. So God brings the breeze when and where he chooses. God brings the spirit also when and where he chooses. So this is the spiritual prototype for the way God brings people to faith in Jesus. Nicodemus's curiosity continues to show, and amazingly, he asked Jesus, how are these things possible? From there, Jesus exhorts Nicodemus with a question. You are a respected Jewish teacher, and yet you don't understand these things? Now, it's a rhetorical question, but as a student of the Old Testament, Nicodemus should have understood something about new birth. Jesus goes on and testifies to who he is. He, he uses a reference about Moses from the Old Testament book of Numbers to foreshadow his death and resurrection as a means of salvation. And this is what he says. So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone... Oh, let me back up. As Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness... So the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. Jesus, who knows everything, responded to all of, G all of Nicodemus's curiosity, and he tries to teach him how 
He is the Messiah by appealing to his knowledge of the Old Testament scriptures. So through all of this, we see the cautiousness of Nicodemus turn into curiosity and more. He was cautious, but he was curious. Here's something else we learn about Nicodemus. He was rigorous in his adherence to the law, but he was also righteous. So that conversation that Jesus had clearly uh, with Nicodemus clearly weighed on him. When the chief priests and the Pharisees as a group wanted to arrest Jesus, they sent the temple guards. But the temple guards are so impressed by Jesus' teaching that they don't arrest him. And so the Pharisees chastise the guards. And we read this conversation in chapter 7 of John. Those Pharisees asked this, is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him, meaning Jesus? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God's curse is on them. Now, here's the irony. The Pharisees, who were so rigorous about following God's law to the nth degree, now all of a sudden want to bend their very own law to arrest Jesus because they don't want people to follow him. And in, in typical fashion, when people in power feel they are losing power, they belittle others, saying that the people are, in this case, are ignorant of the law and calling a curse on them from God. Now, we know that Nicodemus is a Pharisee and he's at this gathering. We also know that he's a, a rigorous follower of the law because he believes that this law is righteous. And because he believes it's righteous, he doesn't agree with what the other Pharisees are saying. And he asked this, is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? He's following the law and, and its righteousness. Now, we can't give Nicodemus more credit than the Bible does. Nicodemus is not defending Jesus here. He's just standing up for the righteous requirements of the laws of Judaism. He wants his fellow Pharisees to be rational and to follow the law that they had so rigorously defended all of their life and ministry. But again, what do people do when they feel like they're losing power? They belittle people. They turn on Nicodemus and they insult him saying, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. Now, in the first century, to call somebody a Galilean was basically to say that they're a hillbilly. Uh, it, it was derogatory. It was to, to tear them down. And, and just to show how angry the Pharisees are about Jesus They've even forgotten their own biblical history about their own prophets. Uh, Professor Donald Carson points out this. In, in more sober moments, the Pharisees would have get, gladly recognized that the prophets Jonah and Nahum sprang from Galilee, and there were probably others as well. But here's the big picture. Nicodemus has kept his integrity, being a rigorous and righteous follower of the law. So we see he's cautious but curious. He's rigorous but righteous. 
And in this last passage of scripture that we're going to examine, we find that Nicodemus is sympathetic, but is he saved? Has he come to faith? So before we answer that question, let's read this last mention of Nicodemus, which we find again in the Gospel of John after Jesus' crucifixion. After Joseph of Arimathea, who has been a secret disciple of Jesus because he feared the Jewish leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Then Pilate gave permission. Joseph came and took the body away. With him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought about 75 pounds of perfumed perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes, And following Jewish burial customs, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. Now, John makes some distinctions about both men. He says Joseph of Arimathea is a secret disciple of Jesus. But about Nicodemus, all he says is that he was the man who came to Jesus at night. So, clearly both men are sympathetic to Jesus. Clearly, Nicodemus respects Jesus as a teacher. Clearly, Nicodemus wants to be a righteous follower of the law, even when it regards people that the Pharisees see are enemies. And personally now, he's actually helped fund the burial of Jesus. He's sympathetic to Jesus. But is he saved? Did Nicodemus put his faith in Jesus as the Messiah? Well, to be honest, we don't know whether or not Nicodemus became a believer. John's gospel leaves it ambiguous. There is no profession of faith. And while Nicodemus is clearly clearly curious about Jesus and a righteous man and sympathetic to Jesus, there is no place where it's crystal clear that he put his faith in Jesus. It's very possible that Nicodemus was also a secret disciple of Jesus and maybe this final act of burying Jesus was a declaration of his faith. I appreciate the insight of Dr. Carson again, who writes this. John may be telling us that by his actions, Nicodemus shows he's stepping out of the darkness and emerging into the light. Honestly, I think Dr. Carson is right, that that Nicodemus stepped out of the darkness of unbelief and into the light of faith in Christ and that he was transformed. And, And I believe that because of what John wrote after Nicodemus's conversation with Jesus in chapter three, we have some clear indications. Now, in some Bibles, Uh, The words of Jesus are printed in red. And when you get to John chapter 3, after verse 15, those words continue in red in some of those Bibles. But scholars are not completely in agreement that verses 16 through 21 are the words of Jesus. In fact, when you look at verses before that, you will see that uh, verses 1 through 12 Jesus is talking, and he's using uh, first-person pronouns. But after that, there are no first-person pronouns. And so they probably represent 
the words of John, the author of the Gospel of John. So let me read those words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that they may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. When you look at those verses, it's a description of spiritual transformation. A transformation from no faith in Jesus to believing in Jesus. A transformation from condemnation to death where one is separated from God forever to eternal life where one spends forever with God. It's a transformation from darkness into light. It's a transformation from evil to good. I believe that John was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words because he was witnessing Nicodemus's transformation. Nicodemus hadn't confirmed his transformation, which is why John doesn't call Nicodemus a secret secret disciple of Jesus, like he did Joseph of Arimathea. But John was watching the transformation happen, surely but slowly. And he wanted to make sure that we all knew what that transformation was looking like, and thus we have these powerful verses. I believe Nicodemus was transformed by Jesus. But what about you? Have you realized that God loves you so much that he sent his only son into the world so that if you believe in him, even though your body will die, your spirit won't die, and you will have eternal life with God forever? Have you been transformed by your faith in Jesus, moving from being condemned to no longer being condemned? Moving from darkness to light, from death to life? If you have, that's great. And that's news that you need to celebrate and share with others. If you've done that recently, I would encourage you to take the faithful step of following Jesus and get baptized. If you would like to be baptized here at Valley Brook, let us know and we will help you do that. If you've taken that step of faith, start doing whatever it takes to follow Jesus every day in every area of your life. Now, if you haven't realized how much God loves you by sending Jesus so that you, if you believe in him, you will have eternal life, you can do that today. In just a moment, I'll lead you in a prayer to do that. But I need to be completely clear with you. If you're deciding to believe in Jesus, it's not just a prayer that you pray and then you go living your life like you always have. No, believing in Jesus is a decision that you make not just to believe in him, 
but to follow him and his teaching every day of your life in every area of your life. It's a transformation from the old way of living to a new way of living. It's a transformation from following and doing things your own way to following Jesus and doing things the way he teaches every day in every area of your life. So I want to close in a prayer and I would invite you, if you want to put your trust in Jesus and follow him, to pray these sentences that I'm going to give to you silently wherever you are. Just put them in your own words and pray them back to God. So let's pray. Dear God, I believe in Jesus. I believe that Jesus died to pay for my sins. I believe that Jesus rose again from the dead. And today, I declare that I want to follow him for the rest of my life. And we say amen. So if you prayed that prayer today, we would love to hear from you. We would like to give you a book to help you grow in your faith and in your following of Jesus. So send us an email at connect at valleybrook.cc and we'll send you that book. So Listen, if you want to be part of a community that seeks to love God and love people and change the world, we invite you to be a part of that each and every day here because that's important. Now, we're going to close this service with our final song, so I invite you to just tune your hearts and your voices to sing this song right now. Thank you for listening to our podcast. It is our sincere hope that it has blessed you. For more information, visit our website at www.valleybrook.cc.